WSJM News Now. This is the 5 o'clock News Block on News Talk Sports 94.9 WSJM. Brought to you by the Town Crier Wire. Download that free local news app today. In the newsroom, I'm Andrew Green. An early morning fire has devastated the Ferry Street Resource Center at 620 Ferry Street in Niles. Fire was reported just after 4 this morning. Crews were on the scene quickly, but the fire was intense and quickly consumed the building. Niles Fire Marshal Rory Iwanuk told us they had to fight the fire defensively. We got a call uh, about 3 o'clock this morning for a structure fire. Crews arrived on scene. We encountered uh, some heavy fire coming from the basement. We tried to make uh, make it into the basement, and the uh, first floor had already collapsed. Due to the hazardous conditions, we were unable to, to go in any further, so it went from an interior attack to a defensive attack. And with the brick exterior and stuff, it was tough for us to uh, extinguish the fire right away. By about 5.30, parts of the building had collapsed. The structure was gutted. The Ferry Street Resource Center provides a community assistance for people seeking help with employment, housing, food, and other needs. There are no reports of injuries. Niles Mayor Nick Shelton called it a sad morning for the city of Niles. He said, quote, the Ferry Street Resource Center has been a staple in our community for more than a century. Shelton added the community has already started to step up in an effort to help those who relied on the resources provided by FSRC. He called the fire a devastating loss. The Michigan legislature is pressing full speed ahead with its latest budget, and that includes the $6.8 billion transportation spending plan. State Representative Joey Andrews tells us the House this week approved a $400 million allocation to be sent to local road agencies based on their population density. The cities of St. Joseph and Benton Harbor are set to receive around $300,000 each of the one-time funding. We're just at a place where our infrastructure is in such huge need that there's just not enough money to address it to the scale that it needs to be. But this was a way to try to give smaller cities like ours that still have some density the ability to fund some of these road projects that are really eating into their budgets. Some have complained awarding road money based on population favors areas that elect Democrats. Andrews disagrees. You could argue that it's actually hurting Democratic areas because it's going out to all 83 counties. If we were just trying to purposely impact Democratic areas, then you would just give it to the largest cities and it would just all go to Detroit, Grand Rapids, and Ann Arbor. The transportation budget does include $150 million in funding for roads in counties with populations of at least 350,000 residents. That means Wayne, Oakland, Macomb, Kent, Genesee, and Washtenaw counties. There's another $100 million for projects in Clinton, Macomb, Kalamazoo, Wayne, Oakland, and Bay counties. Andrews says a $400 million pot of money helps communities with concentrations of people statewide. Meanwhile, State Senator Eric Nesbitt is slamming the Democratic budget proposals being put together in the legislature. He told Michigan's Big Show this week 170 budget amendments proposed by Republicans were rejected by the Democratic majority. He says the plan headed toward approval doesn't focus on important priorities. Such as instead of $70 million for electric school buses, let's spend that money for students that had learning loss during the last few years in the COVID shutdowns and provide scholarships for students. Nesbitt says the governor's budget only puts 2% of the state's $9 billion surplus into roads. He thinks there would be the logical time to double down on fixing the roads. He says Democrats are steamrolling ahead with their own ideas and not taking any time for bipartisanship. Nesbitt is hoping for negotiations once the revenue estimating conference has been held and more final numbers come in. The Berrien County Sheriff's Department is getting a boost for, to its water rescue abilities thanks to a grant from the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. The Berrien County Board of Commissioners this week accepted the $100,000 grant for the purchase of patrol boats to be used on local lakes. 
County Administrator Brian DeSette told commissioners they have someone to thank for securing those funds. Thank you would be to Senator Kim Lasada. While she was in office, this is something that she worked on. And through last year's budget negotiation, she made it a point to advocate on behalf of the Cass County Sheriff, the Berrien County Sheriff. And so this grant agreement is the final step in the better part of two years worth of work. The grant's being used jointly by the Cass County Sheriff's Department and the Berrien County Sheriff's Department. Each county has to pay a 10% match to receive the funds. DeSette says he will reach out to Lasada, who is no longer in office, to thank her for her help. Indiana-Michigan Power will be doing aerial tree trimming around southwest Michigan this coming week. Spokesperson Tracy Warner tells us they'll start Monday and work all over Cass and Van Buren counties. There'll be a helicopter flying fairly close to transmission lines over a good part of our southwest Michigan area in St. Joseph County as well as Cass and Van Buren counties. The reason that we do this is that it's pretty hard to reach some parts of the transmission lines. I mean, if you have a, a big lift truck coming along, there's some areas that it's really hard to get to. Warner says it's quite a sight to see. No one should be concerned. So what people may well see is a helicopter flying fairly close to transmission lines, which normally is something you don't want to see. But in this case, it's done very, very safely. Warner says there will be a device that resembles a large chainsaw attached to the chopper cutting the trees. The operation moves fast as a helicopter zips from area to area. The operation will continue for two or three weeks and run from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Saturday. With the debt ceiling debate continuing in Washington, a former congressman, Fred Upton, is pushing both sides to reach a deal that takes the matter off the table during the presidential campaign. Upton is working with the group No Labels to launch a third-party presidential candidate because he says too often partisan politics result in a lack of progress, and that includes deciding how much the nation can borrow and how much it can spend. Upton says the nation must not default, and the whole issue needs to be resolved to avoid the next presidential campaign. He can't just do a one-year extension. We don't want to go through this again next year, presidential election year. It needs to be a two-year uh, process. Since the end of World War II, Congress has adjusted the debt limit 102 times. The nation's debt is currently $31 trillion. According to the Congressional Research Service, most of the debt is due to Social Security, the Great Recession, COVID spending, and lower tax receipts. And Congressman Bill Heisinger is calling on the federal government to negotiate a better deal for blueberry growers seeking to export their products. He signed on to a letter from members of Congress representing blueberry growing states, urging U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai to work with Japanese counterparts to eliminate frozen blueberry tariffs. Heisinger says that European and Canadian growers have tariff-free trade with Japan for all forms of blueberries. He notes American blueberry exports in 2021 were worth more than $245 million dollars. He supported in his efforts by True Blue Farms and Grand Junction. The farms, Shelley Hartman says, it's important to have a strong domestic market and access to export markets for the overall health and competitiveness of the American blueberry industry. In 2021, Michigan produced about 72 million pounds of blueberries around 16,000 acres of farmland. Blueberry farming has an estimated $530 million economic impact in Michigan. WSJM News now continues with your Bloomberg report. WSJM News now continues, brought to you by Imperial Furniture in Dowagiac, where furniture shopping is fun. The pandemic area immigration policy known as Title 42 has now officially ended. 
But the Biden administration is facing new legal setbacks over its policies at the border. Morph maybe sees Elizabeth Schulze at the White House. In an interview on ABC's Good Morning America, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said the Biden administration is considering its legal options after a federal judge in Florida ruled to block a policy that allows migrants to be released to help alleviate overcrowding in facilities. The practice of releasing uh, individuals when our Border Patrol uh, facilities, when our Border Patrol stations are overcrowded is something that each administration has done from administration to administration. Elizabeth Schulze, ABC News, the White House. The border between the U.S. and Mexico is relatively calm, offering few signs of the chaos that had been feared following a rush by worried migrants to enter the U.S. before the end of the pandemic-related immigration restrictions. Less than 24 hours after the rules known as Title 42 were lifted, migrants and government officials today were still assessing the effect of the change and new regulations adopted by President Joe Biden's administration to stabilize the region. A Homeland Security official said the agency did not see any substantial increase in immigration this morning. Meanwhile, ABC's Jim Ryan is at the border in the city of El Paso. Title 42 was a health policy based on preventing the spread of COVID-19. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommended ending it, but the polling and news site 538 says the majority of Americans wanted to keep it in place. The president's opponents, like Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, see an opening. This is a decision that was made by President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and congressional Democrats to open up the border. 538 suggests that the issue of immigration could cripple incumbent Biden in the 2024 election. Jim Rong in ABC News, El Paso. Elon Musk has confirmed the new CEO for Twitter will be NBC Universal's Linda Yaccarino, an executive with deep ties to the advertising industry. Musk said she will focus primarily primarily on business operations while he plans to center on product design and new technology of the company, which is now called X-Corp. Despite the shift in leadership, experts note that Musk is unlikely to step back from making decisions about twi- Twitter's technology and policies. Still, some say that Yaccarino could help to restore advertisers' faith in Twitter, as the platform's advertising business has taken a hit under Musk's rule. The Congressional Budget Office has added more urgency for lawmakers to lift the debt limit, releasing a new report warning the Treasury will run out of funds in early June. Morph maybe sees M. Win. In an escalation from the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office of how soon the Treasury could run out of money, the agency released a new report warning there is a significant risk the U.S. will default on its debt at some point in the first two weeks of June. This comes after Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen previously told Congress a default could come as soon as June 1st. Yellen's warning prompted a meeting between President Joe Biden and the top four congressional lawmakers, yet there was no immediate solution. Their second debt limit meeting Friday was postponed. M. Wynn, ABC News, Washington. A civil jury's finding that former President Donald Trump sexually assaulted a writer in the 1990s comes at what one scholar calls an ambiguous moment for American women. Columnist E. Jean Carroll is savoring the civil court judgment that orders Trump to pay her $5 million in damages. Yet few call the verdict a death knell for his political career. UCLA Gender Studies professor Juliet Williams believes millions of women could support Trump in 2024 to promote their personal interests. 25-year-old Cassandra Nunez of Los Angeles called Trump's defeat of Hillary Clinton in 2016 a, quote, double whammy for women giving Clinton's loss and Trump's behavior. A statement from the Manhattan District Attorney after the arrest of the 24-year-old charged in the death of a homeless man on a New York subway train was released today. More from ABC's Dave Packer. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg in a statement saying that after an evaluation of the available facts and evidence, his office determined there was probable cause to arrest Daniel Perry and arraign him on felony charges. 
but we may not be hearing much more from his office about the case once it's underway. Bragg saying that his office will be constrained from speaking outside of the courtroom to ensure this remains a fair and impartial matter. But Bragg did say that Jordan Neely, the homeless man strangled to death by Penny, should be alive today. Dave Packer, ABC News, New York. And Dutton and Ren Lee are on the list, but they're no match for champs Liam and Olivia as the top baby names in the U.S. last year. The Social Security Administration released the annual list today. The agency tracks baby names in each state based on applications for Social Security cards with names dating to 1880. It's Liam's sixth straight year at number one. Olivia has reigned since the name unseated Emma four years ago. Emma is number two, coming in third for girls' names, is Charlotte. She's followed by Amelia, Sophia, Isabella, Ava, Mia, Evelyn, and Luna. For boys' names, Liam is followed by Noah, Oliver, James, Elijah, William, Henry, Lucas, Benjamin, and Theodore. WSJM News now continues with your weather forecast.